The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hidden BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the second of the 60th anniversary specials, Wild Blue Yonder, featuring the 14th Doctor and Donna. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. Hi, Adam, and off we go <laughs> into the wild blue yonder. <laughs> so, uh, folks, be sure to stick around to the end of the episode. We have more of your great listener feedback, uh, this time on the last uh, anniversary special, the Star Beast. And I want to also encourage you to check out our merchandise store at sqpn.com slash merch, where you can get a really special Secrets of Doctor Who t-shirt, or you can get the design on other things, too, like phone cases and that sort of thing. It's a lot of fun. Definitely check it out sqpn.com slash merch and finally before we get started i want to tell you about another show on the star quest network you're sure to enjoy called let's science you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science so jimmy can you quickly give us a recap of this episode this week, fresh from Donna Spill and Coffee in the TARDIS, she and the 14th Doctor materialize in 1666 in England, just as Isaac Newton gets the idea for the theory of gravity, which they accidentally cause him to misname Mavity. They then crash into an empty spaceship at the edge of the universe where everything moves really slow, including a slow-moving robot. But the TARDIS's hostile action displacement system causes it to flee temporarily because some hostile action is happening on the ship. The Doctor and Donna are then confronted by two no-things, creatures from the void beyond the universe. The no-things assume the forms of the Doctor and Donna and provoke and attack them. We get a lot of identity confusion and body horror, and the Doctor and Donna eventually realize that the no-things are provoking them because they need them rattled and moving fast. It's part of how they copy them and assume their identities. So the Doctor and Donna need to move slowly to stop them from assuming their identities and spreading chaos throughout our universe. The four, the Doctor, Donna, and their two counterparts, then realize that the former captain of the ship set a plan in motion to stop the no-things three years ago and then spaced herself so that they couldn't figure out what she'd done. It turns out that she slowed down everything on the ship because the no-things don't understand slowness. And her plan involved a slow countdown that will end with the slow robot blowing up the ship. The no-things try to get to the robot to stop it, and the Doctor and Donna speed up the countdown so that the no-things will run out of time. This means that the hostile action has been effectively stopped, and the TARDIS returns. The Doctor gets on board, but in a moment of identity confusion, he picks the wrong Donna to get on board with him, and the real Donna is left on the spaceship, which the robot then detonates. But the Doctor realizes his mistake, kicks the wrong Donna off the TARDIS, and rescues the real one as the ship is exploding. They then return to the alley where Donna's family had been at the end of last episode, but they arrive a day or two late, and Wilf is there waiting for them. He tells them the family's in hiding because the world is ending and everything is going crazy, just as chaos breaks out around the three of them. The End 
Very good. So uh, your overall impression, Father Corey? I enjoyed this one. I mean, this was classic Doctor Who. This was, you know, running around corridors and what's going on. Um, of course, you have the witch doctor and witch Donna are the real doctor and Donna, you know, and that's 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 a trope that goes way back of, you know, the, the twins or the, the duplicates and which is which um, trying to, you know, then having the even the doctor doesn't know what's going on. You know, this is this is one one thing, of course, we've we've talked about many times of, OK, the doctor always seems to know everything and knew who. Well, this is one time where he doesn't. And that's a good thing, um, because then we get to learn as the doctor learns as well. So it was it was fun. And it was kind of, you know, of course, the the CGI of the duplicates was kind of fun of, you know, my arms are too long and they've got arms that are stretching out 10 feet and stuff like that. Mm. So that was kind of fun, too. So I, I enjoyed this one. How about you, Jimmy? Yeah, I enjoyed it, too. Uh, this is sort of a first in Doctor Who um, we've had over the last few years doctor light episodes where the doctor barely appears in them and the companion you know takes center stage and we've had companion light episodes where where the companion is barely in them and the doctor takes center stage but this is a doctor and companion heavy episode Mm -hmm. uh, because uh Catherine Tate and David Tennant are playing both the heroes and the villains, and there's basically nobody else in this. Mm-hmm. We we only have two other characters, well, three other characters. We've got Wilf at the end. We have um, Isaac Newton at the beginning in one scene and also a, 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 a walk-on cameo part named Mrs. Meridew, who somehow knows Isaac Newton. And that's it. For the vast bulk of this episode, it's all David Tennant and Catherine Tate. And it is effectively creepy. Um, I think it could have gotten creepy sooner. Um, It's a little slow in the beginning. Uh, I don't think it's perfect. Uh, Some of the stuff like the size of the spaceship, you know, we get this long interior corridor and they fly down it using a a space go-kart or a space golf cart. Um, and the CGI is kind of ropey here. Mm. Um, but, uh, and normally I don't criticize that, but it's, it's like, okay, can we get to the end of this corridor, please? Mm. You know, do we really need the space golf cart? Um, but it's an enjoyable episode. I liked the, uh, it had flaws, which we'll talk about, but I liked the, uh, I, I liked it overall. I liked the the body horror, the identity confusion. There's a, there's a pair of scenes early on where the doctor and Donna are separated in different rooms. They each have tasks they're performing. And as we're watching Donna, the doctor just walks in and slopes, sits, you know, leans against the walls, sl- slides down to where he's kind of sitting on the ground and starts talking to her. And then Donna walks into the room where the doctor is and starts talking to him. And that's the first time we realize something weird is going on here. They're both talking to duplicates and and neither one of them realizes it. But we, the audience, do. And I thought that was a very effective scene that plays out with nothing seeming really wrong, you know, other than we know they're talking to duplicates, but the duplicates are... You know, they don't seem to be bent on evil conquest or anything. They're just talking to them, and it all seems quite normal until both the Doctor clone and the Donna clone say, my arms are too long. <laughs> and and it's like, okay, this is getting weird now. And it gets progressively weirder. 
and I will say since since you brought it up now is mm-hmm. they they almost play that like they're two different times for the scenes, mm-hmm. right? Like the doctor goes in the other room, twists some things, and then comes back in, mm-hmm. and then Donna finishes up, and she goes into the other room where the doctor's working with him. You know, so they they right. kind of played it where you you mm-hmm. couldn't tell yet they were duplicates. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You could you could in your mind go, well, it's just you know where we they're they're moving from room to room. Yeah, it was really weird. Um, so for me, I, I enjoyed it. Like, like you guys said, I thought it was, uh, fun. It was a classic style of Doctor Who on a spaceship. You know, we, 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 and we have like all these different styles of Doctor Who we used to, like we had Crisis in London, Alien Invasion. That was, you know, the Star Beast. Uh, then we have briefly historical. We've traveled back in time and encountered Isaac Newton. Uh, now we've got the doctor on a spaceship and you know next time you know we'll we'll see what what that is uh obviously you, we know the the toy makers involved somehow but it's like we've kind of in these three specials or two specials so far hit on a couple of different styles of doctor who which is a lot of fun and i really enjoyed the the doctor and donna dynamic here again i mean this is we're, we're going back to the classic doctor donna of before the you know 10 and donna and it feels it feels natural it feels right uh i i enjoy the interplay i really enjoy they really you know have the classic donna of you know the way that she would react in the situation which is so vastly different from the way that clara would react or amy Mm. or uh bill or you know any of the 13th doctor's companions so it's it's very specifically this is how donna would react in this situation and it's enjoyable that way i think that that's true up to a point, Lord Copper, but <laughs> Donna, I mean, Catherine Tate is a comedian. That's what she's known for. And I don't think they're giving her enough comedy to do. Um, I think the I think that they've captured the idea that the doctor and Donna are mates. They're best buddies. They're mm-hmm. platonic friends and they're comfortable with each other. They've got that. But what they don't have is some of the comedy that we had in the original series for run of Donna, like mm-hmm. in in the Partners in Crime episode, you know, which is the one with the adipose. And it's also the one where the doctor and Donna are reunited after Runaway Bride. The opening sequence of that before oh, yeah. they get together is hilarious. Yep. And even as they're, you know, there's they eventually see each other and they're talking through through two panes of glass <laughs> yes, with an office best. in between them. Yeah. And the villains are in the office and can see them both talking to each other. This is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the I think that I th- I would like these to be funnier yeah. than they have been. Mm. I, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, there's some humor, there's some of that. But, uh, yeah, it's not quite the same i mean there's a flash of that where you know the tardis has just disappeared through the had system and yeah that's well let's fight it and kick its arse yeah (laughs) yes yeah that was that was very classically done i I like that 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 was very nicely done because she's initially very very scared because she doesn't know about the hads and she's just seen the tardis run and so she says so something scared the tardis so much it ran off and the doctor says yes, and she says, "Well, then we go out there and we kick its arse." Only <laughs> yeah. she doesn't say arse, but just That's... that turn in her inflection, yeah, is is funny and great. And Donna, 
And that, that, by the way, that is what subtitles say. But <laughs> they, so they, they, yeah. they, they censored the subtitles. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> ours used to be pronounced um, that way. Yeah. It used to be, they would say it, they didn't pronounce the R. Yeah. Yep. Um, several hundred years ago. So it, it <laughs> actually can, it's a legitimate pronunciation of ours. Yep. So. The, there is a running gag throughout where they when because the doctor and Donna end up in, uh, you know, Isaac yeah. Newton's tree. Let, let, uh, let's talk about the Isaac Newton scene, because I think there are a couple of things to say here. So the first thing is I like this scene. I like Mrs. Meridew. I like Isaac Newton. Um, it's it, it, it you know, she, he's he basically tells her he's going to go out and it's a lovely morning in England and he's going to go out and contemplate God's creation. And she says, don't come back till you get a really good idea. And um, and he then goes and does the famous sit under the tree thing, which mm-hmm. is who knows if that's apocryphal or not. But he goes and sits under the tree and apples start falling on him. And this actually is in a little bit of conflict with what the fourth doctor said in the pirate planet, which was that he um, he dropped apples. He kept dropping apples on Isaac Newton's head and then explained gravity to him over dinner. Mm-hmm. Well, here. OK, so fourth doctor says a lot of stuff in rule one. The doctor lies. So who knows? Also mm-hmm. time war. So it could have been true. But. <laughs> Um, the, here it's the 10th doctor and Donna are in the TARDIS at the top of the tree and it's shaking the tree and they, and Donna then has this pun once they realize they're talking to Isaac Newton about, well, you of all people could appreciate the gravity of this. And then they fly off and Isaac Newton says, what was that marvelous word they used? And he tries out several alternatives, but he misremembers it as mavity. Mm Mm-hmm. And, okay, this is implausible um, because because Isaac Newton was fluent in Latin, and that's where he got the word gravity. Gravity means heaviness in Latin. So it's implausible that he would mistake it for a nonsense word like mavity. Um, But they then have this running joke, as you mentioned, Don, uh, Dom, uh, which is that, um, which is they keep, the doctor and Donna keep using the word mavity, even though right. they didn't hear him say it because mm-hmm. they had already left by that point. And so we're led to infer that the, um, that the effects of him naming it mavity rippled forward in time. And so that's what Donna and the doctor know it as, although well, the doctor also knows it is both because later uh, towards the end of the episode, he says gravity and the doc Donna says what? And he says mavity. Mm-hmm. And and so they play it at first. I wasn't sure if this was going to be a plot point, but they eventually play it as if it's just a running gag that yeah. we're not meant to take seriously. Yeah. We'll have to see if the toy maker has greater significance for it. But as of right now, it looks like just a running gag. You might say the toy toy maker might have more gravitas. <laughs> or Mavitas. They both come from the same. <laughs> Mavitas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In, in, incidentally, one thing that I, so there are two other things I wanted to mention about this Isaac Newton business. Um, one of them, and these two I think are flaws. Uh, one of them didn't really occur to me at the time, but it was pointed out uh, by a YouTube commenter named Rich Rich Hudson, who, and I think he's right about this. Um, they did a colorblind casting 
for Newton. And the guy they picked, while he's very good in the part, is 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 not he isn't Caucasian. He's he's mm-hmm. he looks like he's mixed race or something. And that's actually not historically accurate. Um, and Hudson was pointing out, and I agree with him, that unless the part requires it, colorblind casting is a good thing. You know, unless the part requires the character mm. to be of a particular ethnicity. Yeah, I'm all for colorblind casting, but I'm not for colorblind historical revisionism. And it would it would be like, you know, a more extreme example would be like, let's make a let's let's do a Doctor Who where he goes to the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln is black. You know, that would make no sense. Um, And and it and it really now it's not as dramatic here because the actor they have playing Newton isn't that dark, but he's not as Caucasian as the historical Isaac Newton was. And. So I, I think, yeah, you're kind of color washing this part and it's a kind of it's not colorblind. It's deliberate historical revisionism. I guess I I, I mean, I get your point mm-hmm. and I, 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 I see what you're saying. The, well, Newton here is not as nearly impo- is not important to the plot at all, really. No. And it's kind of a throwaway character. Yeah, it's not as bad as if they'd cast a woman as Newton, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um I, I just kind of accept it as, um, you know, they just threw a guy in the role. I, I didn't, I didn't I think it was that big a deal. I do, do find it kind of ironic that the same people who would cast him, you know, as someone who's, you know, uh, not fully English. Right. Would also have vapors over the Italians away in Chiang. Yeah. Casting an Englishman as Asian. Right. Right. That would be. So it's the perceived it, hypocrisy. It was just kind of, of one of those. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, and I agree, that's not a major thing, but yep. it is, it's, it's, it's a minor thing, but I thought I'd mention it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I wanted to mention, I, I, I actively dislike. And this is where the doctor and Donna are walking down the corridor in the spaceship. And Donna says, wasn't Isaac Newton hot? Okay. Don't have a problem with that. Donna could easily say that. She but said then, stuff like that. Before. The whole yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. But then the doctor responds by saying, oh, yeah, he was so hot. And then he says, oh, is that who I am now? And the and Donna says, well, you know, it was always kind of close to the surface, I thought. And then they get cut off. And it's like, OK, no, this is wrong. Um, the 10th doctor did not have same sex attraction close to the surface. When and Donna certainly wouldn't have had a basis for thinking that Mm -hmm. because when they met, he said he was looking for a mate and meaning a friend. And she's like, oh, you're not going to mate with me. She her instant interpretation of him was this is a heterosexual guy on the move. Mm -hmm. And then she learned about Rose Tyler. Right. And his love for Rose Tyler, and she met Rose Tyler. Named her child. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, her child named herself. That's right. Um, And and then she saw the doctor interacting with his future wife, River Song, and commented on how they're acting like an old married couple. And so it's like, no, you have multiple instances of Donna perceiving the 10th doctor as 
fully heterosexual. There was no hint in mm-hmm. her time. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I'm thinking of of him having same-sex attraction. This is revisionism on Russell T. Davies' part. Well, why couldn't it have been the doctor with a little bleed over from the 13th doctor? You know what I mean? Yeah. You could have done yeah. that. It would have been fine. It would have been a silly joke. But you got to, this is the problem, is the, whenever Russell T. Davies apparently encounters, the, you know, I can turn left or turn right, he always turns left. You know what I mean? He's like, no, I want to mm-hmm. lean into the 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 gay thing uh, you know in well, this case they, or something else in that ideology and it's it's pretty clear that that they're taking the word love and they've been doing these two spool specials and they're only thinking of it under the issue of lust basically right you know mm-hmm. sexual attraction physical attraction and not the sense you know even I hate to say it, but it almost seemed like in the first special when he talks about he loved Wilf, and it's just like, okay, how far are we taking this? Right. Because that's the first time you've used that word to actually mean, you know, a filial relationship. Right. Instead of instead of actually, you know, lusting. The other point, and just to make it clear what I'm objecting to is is Donna's line mm-hmm. about it was always close to the surface. No, it wasn't. Right. It, it, you could say that about the ninth doctor. Because in the doctor dances, um, he, I mean, he kisses, he's, he accepts a kiss from Jack Harkness Mm -hmm. and is apparently okay with it. And so you could say that about the ninth doctor, even though he also obviously had feelings for Rose, Um, but not the 10th doctor. That's, that's not established. This is contrary to what's been established. They could have had the 14th doctor, you know, go, yeah, oh, he was hot. Oh, I I I'm feeling a little bit like my former self, you know, mm-hmm. meaning Jody Whitaker's doctor. Yeah, they could have done that. But it's just this is Donna's line is wrong because it doesn't fit what they established about the 10th doctor. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, that was that was a jarring moment and, and mm-hmm. unnecessary. Like it just came out of yep. nowhere and took you out of the story. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it wouldn't like that. And it was it was clearly meant to be a, a humorous thing, but still. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about the 14th Doctor that is different from the 10th Doctor is he's more touchy-feely, like more emotions on the surface. He's more likely to grab Donna's mm-hmm. hand and hold her hand when she's mm-hmm. upset. and um, which Or I've, pound a wall. Right, mm-hmm. which I think is intentional. They're building up something about why the why does he have this face again? And I think that must be connected to it, I would hope. Um, yeah, what they haven't shown him... Yet they may next episode, but that what they haven't shown him do yet that the tenth doctor did a lot was smoldering anger, um, like in Family of Blood, mm-hmm. you know, where he's he's just cold in what he does to the Family of Blood, um, and they haven't shown him. He doesn't. They, we haven't seen him. We've seen him do vulnerability. We've seen him do anguish. We've seen him do, you know. Um, Happiness. We've seen him do a lot of emotions, and you're right, Dom. They are on the surface, but we haven't seen him do the cold right. anger thing yet. Mm. Right. Well, and we see him do the the opposite with Donna, where you know the TARDIS disappears, and of course he immediately goes after her. He starts, you know, it's your fault, right. and then realizes what he just said and went, oh, you know, kind of right. kind of backed off. But you know that he 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 was willing to to. You She's kind of pushing him. Rightfully in that so, scene too, yeah. Though. But mm-hmm. but still. That's something the doctor doesn't do very often is just flat out blame. You know, if you hadn't dropped the coffee in the console, this wouldn't have happened. Right. It seemed a little intemperate 
in that moment. He seemed yeah. a little that. That's well, and, a little and again, it, and it, as soon as he said it, you could you know. And it shows great acting of David Tennant, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Immediately, you know, look on his face like I, I just crossed the line. Mm-hmm. I have to say, in this episode, with them playing the two parts, the not the 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 not things and themselves, uh, there was some great acting. I mean, just uh, Tennant had some real subtlety in that scene where they were mm-hmm. you know on the other side of the mm-hmm. glass facing each other, and there's some real subtlety in the expression of the not thing. That mm-hmm. I mean, they, the 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 doctor does call it out. But there's still some – David Tennant is a great actor, so, I mean, it's not a surprise. And it's fun to see him play evil villain because he has played some real bad villains. Yeah, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. You know, as an actor. Um, uh, uh, Jessica Jones yeah, gra- was one. Grave something, whatever it is. Um, uh, yeah, he was, that was like the most evil character, and he was great at it. And so, he, yeah, some good acting. There's, there's the darkest part I've seen him play – is um i'm blanking on the name of it now there was a show that was like a a few years ago it was made in like four different countries uh britain spain germany and italy i think and it was all about it was all about interrogating criminals and Mm -hmm. so each episode was set in an interrogation room in a police station and they actually used the same set for all four countries. They just redressed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in the UK version of the this interrogation drama, one of the episodes centers on David Tennant as as the criminal and the crime they're trying to get him to confess to is sexual abuse and murder of his own daughter. Ooh, yeah, Ouch. and. And at first, he's not budging, but, you know, in every episode, they, one way or another, eventually get the person to confess. Is it Dead Water Fell? That mm. was, that's mm. not the title of it? Okay. It's got a simple, it's got a simple name. It's not interrogation, but it's something simple and policey. Hmm. Okay. Um, interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a, yeah, he's a great actor. He was also in something recently on Netflix that was written by Stephen Moffat. Um, that I was just inside man, which was, uh, man, it was really good. That was, that was nice. excellent. Yeah. David Tennant is so great. Um, so the, the hostile, well, no, before we get to the hostile action, I want to, I don't want to forget to talk about the title of the episode, wild blue yonder, um, mm-hmm. which they talk about. It's the, the TARDIS starts playing the wild blue, you know, off we go to the wild blue yonder. Yeah, That's the, the air force. Anthem. Um, yeah, anthem. it's it's yeah. literally the, the the name of the song is the United U.S. Air Force. Right, and it it is the anthem of the Air Force, and you know, in basic training, you got to learn how to learn it and all that good stuff. So, <laughs> and as our resident, so uh, I know it well. Yeah, Air, I know Airman. it well. Yeah, um, and then there's an interesting. <laughs> they have this interesting debate over: is it a war song or is it jolly? You know, the because uh, uh, Donna remembers it's a jolly war song. Yeah, remembers having to sing it, which is interesting. Uh, sing it in uh, school as a child. That they taught was it to a them. singer. Yeah, it was a singer. Yeah, that's right. It was. Yeah, or I thought it was. They would hear it at the concert every year. Yeah, well, I think she was in the choir and had to see uh, yeah. whatever was the case. It was at you know her British school kids singing wildly on her, which is interesting. And sort of like yeah, that seems you know a war song. Having kids sing a war song, it seems. And I'm like, but I mean, I guess I mean, <laughs> yeah, is this is it, somehow bad? <laughs> It is well, the war song that helped save Britain from Germany that helped 
during the Cold War that, you know, that still yeah. helps protect Britain today. I mean, yeah. <laughs> By the way, the name of the, well, and they sang it because she says the choir director, Mrs. Bean, yep. wanted to. Right. She liked it. She thought it was jolly. But um, what I was going to say, I looked it up. The name of that interrogation show is is criminal colon UK. Oh, OK. And then they'd have like criminal colon Spain and criminal colon Germany and criminal colon Italy. Right. OK. OK. And yeah. it's obvious the Spanish have the funnest cops. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yes. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, so then there's this hostile action displacement system. We've heard of that before, right? Oh, oh yeah. That oh, yeah. goes back to the second doctor. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I, I knew we'd heard it. But the 14th doctor says, oh, I turned that off years ago because if I didn't, we never, basically, we'd never have episodes of stories to because it would yeah. never go where we wanted it to go to have, to get into danger. So I thought that yeah. was kind of funny. Uh, he said, I could never land. I was once spent three years in orbit. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so, but it, because... The TARDIS is rebuilding itself, regenerating itself. Uh, it was um, well, it switched on again. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. And it, anytime the TARDIS recognizes a threat that to the TARDIS itself, it uh, it escapes. And like we said, we see the second Doctor where they're in the TARDIS and it does it. Yeah. But then there's other times where the tar we we've seen before where the TARDIS has disappeared. We've seen as it well. As, we've seen it as recently as Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Because in the Witch's Familiar and the Magician's Apprentice, um, the Daleks shoot the TARDIS, and it uses the Had system to appear to destroy itself or right. appear to right. be destroyed. That's the one I was trying right. to think of. This is one where where it was more recent. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, interesting. And, and, and by the way, earlier when I mentioned it, I said Had's system, which of course is like ATM machine. <laughs> you know, Pin number. Because it is hostile <laughs> action displacement system. Yes. Yep. Uh, so there's the edge of the universe. Does, does the doctor that really never, he says, I've never been this far, but he's been to the edge of the universe before in the fifth doctor's time, right? End of time. I thought there was the one, the one where they leave, um, Nissa behind, uh, wasn't that at terminus. the, yeah, wasn't terminus at the edge of the universe? I thought. Uh, Maybe just not that far to the edge of the universe. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I thought that's what it was. Uh, supposed to be about I, yeah i thought that was supposed to be more like end of time type of thing like the universe is collapsing because it's the end of uh, okay. time which was like was the... the center of the universe or something i don't remember uh, the problem is all this makes sci is all this makes scientific nonsense is scientific nonsense because yeah as far as we know the universe has no edge and well, this is something that they actually address in yep. the episode, <laughs> which is nice. So, OK, give them points for that. Yeah, I can accept yeah. it if you're going to address it and say it's just beyond our current science. Fine. I don't think we actually need to discover any new kind of mathematics. <laughs> we, we, we don't have a problem with the idea it might have an edge. We just don't have any evidence that it has an edge. Right. Yep. Right. I mean, and, and in fact, what are the, you know, there's still something out there beyond the edge, these aliens. So therefore it's, just it's not no the edge. thing, yeah. <laughs> which is actually what a lot of people thought the universe was until the 1920s. Um, because prior to the time of Edwin Hubble, they'd worked out and Vesto Slifer, they'd worked out that, um, that the Milky Way was a big disc and that we're living in the Milky Way. 
And they thought, okay, that's the universe. The Milky Way is the universe. There is just empty space beyond it. And a lot of people did. And they could Mm -hmm. see these little nebulas, these fuzzy patches that were spirals. And they thought, okay, the spiral nebulae are, are nebulas that are here in the Milky Way. And then there was this huge debate over this in 1920, which nobody won. But Mm. by a few years later, Vesto Slifer and Edwin Hubble had measured the redshift of the uh, of of the spiral nebulas and had found supernovas in them that they could tell Mm -hmm. based on the type of supernova. This has to be really far away. It has to be outside the Milky Way. And that's when they realized the spiral nebulas are other galaxies. And the Milky Way is not the only thing in the universe. Right. And you can find out more about that by listening to (laughs) Mysterious World, episode 245. How we found the universe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, So they're at the edge of the universe in this ship. With this ship ended up there going through a wormhole, I guess is how they put it. And mm-hmm. uh, and there was one person aboard, or, or one person left maybe, um, and the the doctor's acting very cavalier. But Donna knows something dangerous is aboard. She's got this sense that something dangerous is aboard. Um, well, then, just just the fact that TARDIS ran away because it detected something hostile, something right, dangerous. Right. That's a that's a pretty good clue that mm-hmm. there's something dangerous aboard. You know, it's interesting the parallels between this story and the. Uh, not the liberation with the one we talked about that was the 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 uh short the uh where the we encountered davros and the dalek um mm-hmm. destination scarrow destination i was trying to think of what those, the, the first word destination scarrow and in that one the tardis crashes into a, you know flies in and crashes into a wall they also has a where he's giving the doctor ends up giving the words for the dalek and everything else to a guy there unintentionally. So it's kind of very similar. Like Rusty Davies were like reusing some bits here. I think this mm-hmm. <laughs> mentioned that uh, interesting. Um, they're, they're much more willing to show the TARDIS actually flying and crashing versus just materializing. Yeah. I love the like crash right into the wall. It's mm-hmm. embedded in the wall. That, yeah. that, that That's fun. Um, and then they come out and it's like shooting like an afterburner of flame out the door as it's exploding on the inside. Um, I was wondering whether they would take the opera, whether they would change the interior again, it's going to regenerate. So I was like, Oh, do we only get that really cool interior for one? Like, no, bit? no, no, they're they, going to keep that for a while. That's good. Cause I really liked the, the interior. Yeah. Um, but uh, so it, then uh, I liked the, uh, Using the sonic to, you know, take, he takes out the key, the the lock, Mech- and the yep. mechanism, yep, and puts the sonic in, and that activates the regeneration. So that that was kind of cool, but it also means that not only do we lose the 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 tar- we have TARDIS separation, we have sonic separation, which causes yep. some you know issues with the Doctor's solution. They because he doesn't have the um, translation ability that mm-hmm. the TARDIS mm-hmm. gives him. And but he also doesn't have the the sonic to manipulate things, which really you know I like constraints make good stories, and I like the doctor being yep. constrained like this. I thought that made it a really interesting you know uh, situation for him to be in. So I thought that was cool because the sonic well, think, he, he could have just sonic the, the the Donna and said you're the fake Donna, you're the real Donna, you know. Well, think of it in the fifth Doctor, they destroyed the sonic screwdriver, and we never saw it again until the TV movie, right? Right. And that that was one of the reasons why they destroyed it is because it be, had become a writing crutch. 
Right. And right. not even to the level that it is now. I mean, not <laughs> even close. Yeah, well, cool. they, they, yeah. they just amped it up even further last week. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think there's some justification um, because in the classic era of Doctor Who, the stories were in four parts and they were twice as long now mm-hmm. and and they had a slower pace of television and so you so it it worked in that environment to have the doctor not use the sonic and have to figure things out other ways whereas now they need to keep the plot moving because right. we've got we've got a 45 minute episode and we've got to tell a complete story in that time and having a magic wand will move the plot forward so uh, I want to talk about the scenes where they confront their opposites. Uh, so at first, it's just um, Don, you know, one Donna, one Doctor, and then it's uh, the two Donnas and the two Doctors. And one of the things the 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 not Doctor does to try to convince Donna that he's re- that he's real is he takes his tie off and and drops it and say, "Could I do that if I if this was all just fake?" And she's like, "Where'd the tie go?" Like later on, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh." The things I keep forgetting about the persistence of of existence yeah. of things yeah. I don't things, see. Things continue to exist even when even afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> he, he doesn't have object permanence. Right, mm-hmm. he's like a toddler, like or not, mm-hmm. uh, actually a, a newborn, like that because newborns don't have object permanence, uh, which is why peekaboo works so well. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was a, a fun little bit there uh, in that one. I, I have to admit though, with those scenes, all I could think of was that meme where it's the the cartoon Spider Man the where they're pointing at each other. You know, <laughs> yeah, that you know that's, that's all I could think of because that's that's what those scenes are like. You know, and that that again, these this is not a new concept this idea of doppelgangers and which is the real one and which is the fake one and right. i mean you, you see that all the time or at least you used to see it all the time um, they played it well I, this time I think they, I did, yeah. they did a good job with it they, they didn't well, belabor it too long they did use it to do some info dump mm-hmm. with yeah. the doctor and, and uh, oh. timeless child and the flux and all that i want to come back to timeless child but uh, i do want to just mention that mm-hmm. the last time we saw this was uh with the zygons in the 12th mm-hmm. doctor, you know, and, but, yeah. but at least in this one, they didn't leave us with the ambiguity of, is it really Donna or is it the not thing? You know, the, yeah. like we mm-hmm. did with uh, Oswald and Clara and that sort of stuff. So I'm glad that we're, we're, we're Osgood. 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 Sorry. Not Oswald. <laughs> Osgood. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm glad that we didn't do that ambiguity thing. Um, mm-hmm. So that, there was a bit of a dramatic purpose for that. I, I can kind of give them that. Um, one one of the things they did this time that I really liked is they addressed where is the mass coming from? Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is a huge issue in lots of sci-fi and stuff. It's like, okay, this thing grew out of nothing. Where did it get the mass? Right. And here they 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 say, okay, well, the reason it got cold is because the, the heat was turned into um into mass. So it was heat into mass. Uh, yeah, okay. Heat is kinetic energy that's just the vibration of molecules. Hypothetically, you could skim off enough enough of that kinetic energy to turn it into matter, but uh, this spaceship would be at absolute zero if that were the case. <laughs> e equals MC squared, you know? <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> uh, so at least they tried, though. So a point at least, especially, especially as big as they get at one point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the. So, Father Corey, you mentioned the the conversation, Gallifrey, and but also the flux got definitively mm-hmm. mentioned, and it appears that 
Russell T. Davis is carrying the timeless child thing along because we also yeah. got the mm-hmm. idea that the, the, they kind of referred to, but didn't exactly say that the doctor really wasn't from Gallifrey. Yeah. Right. They said, he said, he's from Gallifrey. He said, no, you're not. You don't know where you're from. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they and Russell T. Davies had previously announced that the flux and the timeless child would be briefly alluded to in this episode um, because as a way of his signaling, I'm not rewriting this. It's perfectly fine. Yeah, right. Um, which it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I like what they did with uh, with I saw another YouTube comment commenter noting this. Um YouTube reviewer noting this, mm-hmm. um, they, they, they made the flux much more impactful to the doctor because he's, even though he's not at fault, he has enormous guilt over mm-hmm. half the universe being destroyed because of him. Mm. And, and it's like Jodie Foster didn't, I mean, Jodie Whittaker didn't, you know, she is just like Mrs. Happy-Go-Lucky, duh, moving on. And mm-hmm. and and now Dr. 14 is is having to deal with the emotional aftermath of that. And this mm-hmm. makes it so much better. This is part of why Jodie Whittaker's doctor was broadly lame. Yeah. She was just happy-go-lucky. She never uh, she she could alternate between being scoldy and 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 kind of angry and being happy go lucky but we never got we never and and depressed she could also be depressed mm-hmm. um but we it she just doesn't there's something off about her emotions you know it's, it's so weird cuz chris chibnall can write this stuff broadchurch had was so well written i don't understand why he was so bad at it with doctor who the first two broad churches, the first yeah. two seasons were really good. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, he then wrote Jodie Whittaker's character into the ground in season three. She was became an unlikable character. Right. Right. <laughs> Sounds like a pattern. Oh, I mean. <laughs> so one funny visual pun, and I've debated whether to bring it up is, but at the end of the, this scene with the, the fake doctor and Donna, he reveals that he's the fake by sort of bending himself around backwards. Mm-hmm. And he almost oh, yeah. literally talks out of his butt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, 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 and he bends over backwards and does this hand walk with yes. his yeah. walking on it like a quadruped, but with his stomach stick, sticking up to the sky. Oh, creepy. And that's effectively creepy. Yeah. It's, it's like a crab walk. Yeah. yeah. But all the way around. I gather that's like there was a. A, a famous horror movie that I've never, I don't watch horror oh, movies. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, that would be. From 1981. Okay. That would be effectively creepy. All right. So <laughs> I need to have something explained to me. What was the deal with the line of salt? I, I didn't oh, understand yeah. why it stopped them and what the big deal of it being a superstition is. Well, so it is a superstition that vampires can't cross lines of salt because they have to count them. And right. here the doctor expanded it by saying in our universe, demons, ghosts and vampires can't do that. So you can't cross this line of salt. And it was essentially a delaying tactic. And the doctor knew it's just a superstition. But he was trying. But because humans can believe two simultaneously contradictory things, this is a superstition. And yet it really works. Mm hmm. He was hoping that that would stop them. And it kind of did. The Donna clone 
gets down and starts individually counting the grains of salt. Yeah. And yeah. the doctor clone, even though he's still dismissing it, he's not crossing the line either. Yep. And yeah. and so um so it was a bluff, but it worked. And the doctor mm-hmm. at the end of the episode is at is concerned that he invoked a superstition at the edge of the universe where the laws of reality are wonky. And so this mm-hmm. may have further consequences. And so I'm expecting some follow up on that next episode. Right. Yep. I just didn't understand why it worked. Uh, like, why did they? Uh, but I guess because they were they were because Donna and the Donna and the doctor, or at least Donna, mm-hmm. they, believed they it would work. Yeah. And yet yeah. it was a they can't hold they yeah. can't hold contradiction. Right. You know, a superstition and it's something being true is a contradiction. Right. But because so, Donna believed it was true, they, it worked. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I same idea, you know, Donna being stupid and brilliant. Mm-hmm. Right. She'd have moments of brilliance, moments of, of, of stupidity, which we all do. <laughs> <I'm blaming. laughs> yeah. Uh, I probably have said several in this episode. <laughs> so um, they also explain that these nothings are evil because they observed the evil in our universe because uh, evil travels far and faster than love does it's just kind of vague on that they didn't have a speed reference i didn't i don't think it's just they said they saw all the wars in our universe and that shaped them and donna then rightly points out we're more than that Mm -hmm. and and, but this is hand wavy to explain why we have villains okay yeah yeah well, and they did say something like, you know, love letters don't travel. And then, and, mm-hmm. and there, there is the sense of, you know, gossip travels much further than praise. Right. You know, if someone does something good, you know, a couple of people might tell them someone does something bad. It spreads throughout, you know, spreads through a parish, it spreads through a community, it spreads through, you know, workplace, whatever. Right. Which actually has a survival value. You need to know about the threats more than you need to know about the stuff that's working. Right. But but this is the the point, like, you know, the newspaper's full of bad things much more than the good things, uh, because mm-hmm. that's what makes news. And so I guess that's yep. kind of what they're saying here is that uh, evil tra- travels around the universe twice before love gets its pants on in the morning or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Bill's> <laughs> saying, um, I like the the concept that the original captain of the ship set a very, very slow countdown. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what Rears. this was all about. Uh, and that they show up, the TARDIS gets, brings them there just at the moment of the slow countdown. And the TARDIS in the midst of being destroyed is still doing its job of getting mm-hmm. the doctor to where it needs to be at the right time. Exactly. I, T- mm-hmm. TARDIS is the underrated character in Doctor Who. Let me put it that, just put that out there. <laughs> uh, the TARDIS is always doing its job. Uh, I, well, you could argue, though, that they the not things would not have figured this out except for the doctor and Donna being there. You're right. If the doctor Donna hadn't shown up, the, mm-hmm. the countdown just would have gone off. That's a good point. That's a good point. So maybe because the TARDIS was malfunctioning, the TARDIS took them where they shouldn't have been <laughs> instead of where they needed to be. Right. And left them there. <laughs> and left them there. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I, 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 that's actually probably more valid. Um, and then the. They have that great scene where the 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 doctor's quizzing the Donnas, and as always, you expect they, they subvert expectations. You always, you know, say, "Oh, the, you know, the Donna will always the doctor knows Donna, and he's gonna pick pick the right one. She's gonna have the you know the correct answer that only the real Donna would know, and the doctor will take her and they'll get out of there just in time." 
and they subvert that expectation. Well, yeah, I, I like the fact that they they totally take that off the table because the the clones have their memories. And so you can't use the something only X would know test. Um, they they got to be more creative about figuring out who it is. And the way they end up figuring it out is more about how would the person really react? Because right. that's one of the things that is different about the clones. They got all the same memories, but they don't have the same reactions. Mm-hmm. One of our and, listeners on our Discord uh, was saying that she feels like Donna, um, she... She tried to guess what the doctor wanted to hear rather than give her mm-hmm. honest reaction. And that's what messed things up. Um, and, yep. and that the, and then so the doctor took the wrong Donna. Yeah, that, sauce. That, that makes sense because yeah. the, the, the not Donna gave the because it's because it is. It's just and that, that would be Donna's yeah, actual it's reaction. Funny. It's funny because it is. <laughs> yeah. OK, so we should clarify what we're talking about, um, because there's more than one scene where the doctor is talking to the Donnas. And the first time he figures out who the real one is. Mm-hmm. But this is the, this is the confrontation at the very end where he's gotten on the TARDIS, which he uses like a hoverboard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's 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 gotten on the TARDIS and he's taking one of the two Donnas with him. And he says and they'd been laughing earlier in the show about the name of the choir director, Mrs. Bean. And he says, why is that funny? And Donna A says, they're both, they both look at him like, Oh, how am I supposed to explain this? And then Donna A blurts out because it's the name of a vegetable given to a woman. And Donna B says, it just is. And he takes Donna B and because humor is really hard to explain. I, 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 I thought both of the Donnas missed what was clear to me. Yes. Which is presumably Mrs. Bean is the wife of the British comedy character, Mr. Bean. It reminds you of Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. (laughs) That's why it's funny. Um, Yeah. Um, I mean, that to me, that was the dominant thing. I didn't care about the vegetable reference. I'm thinking Rowan Atkinson. It was an incarnation of the master. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, doctor. No, the doctor, not the master, the doctor. Right, right, right. Uh, So uh, actually that, now that would have been funny, actually, if they'd said something, mm-hmm. made a reference to that. That would have been really good. Um, so he, but he, yeah, I like that. She's like in despair. Like you've you've left me. Like you, mm-hmm. uh, this is it. I'm done. And comes back for just. I like the TARDIS's ejection system. By the way, the yeah. the sloping yeah. ramp, <laughs> the the catwalk, and the, the 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 staircase in the TARDIS. He can flip that up, and you slide down it and get ejected. <laughs> that was, that's great. That's that should be handy in the future. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> they then we have this scene at the end where Donna is kind of confronting the Doctor, and you mentioned about the his feelings about being responsible for half the universe being destroyed, but like this about who he really is and what's really going on. And he keeps deflecting. He deflects and deflects. Well, he brought it up. He said, Mm -hmm. because what the fake Donna told him before he knew she was the fake Donna was when I was the doctor, Donna, I, I, I saw the last 15 years that we were apart in your life. And so I know all about the flux and the timeless child and in, 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 in effect. And then at the end of the episode, now that he's talking to the correct Donna, he says, so when you were the doctor, Donna, did you did you like see all that time in my life that we were apart? Because he doesn't really want her to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he may want on some level, he may want to tell her, but he doesn't want to tell her yet. 
Right. And so um, she says, no, just it was just a blur. I can't. I, you know, maybe that other creature with her enormous space brain could figure it out. But but for her, for for the true Donna, it was just a blur. She doesn't have cacheable knowledge about exactly what happened in that gap. And he doesn't want. And But now that he's raised it, she keeps pushing, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. she wants to know what it is that happened that he thinks is significant and was concerned about. Does she know it or not? And he won't budge at that point and just says, oh, a lot happened. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious. I mean, there's a, a lot has to happen in the next episode. You know, we have to encounter the toy maker, but we have to resolve the question of why is the doctor's face back again and mm-hmm. what's right. going on? And I, I, I feel like him working through this is going to be part of that. Maybe. Um, I, I'm not sure of that, but yeah. we do have to answer why is his face back? Yeah. Right. And then, of course, we get the best scene in the whole episode <laughs> where they ran, land back in London and they open the door back in the Yancey Melly. And there is everybody's favorite old soldier, uh, well, Wilfred Mott. Uh, great to see him again. Bernard Cribbins. Uh, and uh, apparently uh, Russell T. Davies had written more scenes for him in the next special, The Giggle, but he just was his health was failing and he just couldn't do it. So this is all yeah. we're going to get of, uh, oh. of Wolf um, that they have seen. That's unfortunate because it looked like they were bringing him into the TARDIS at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I guess they cut to make that unclear or something. I'm not the, sure. I, I guess they're going to drop the, they're going to say they dropped him off somewhere. That's, that's they how they're yeah. going to deal with it. Yeah. Cause there, there'd been a still, um, you know, picture people had taken during filming where they show like the doctor pushing, mm-hmm. Wilfred and Donna's walking alongside. Right. And so, and so, but again, you know, if, if because of his health, they weren't able to complete all the scenes, maybe that we'll get to see a little, little bit of that. That'll probably and then they go off and do them. And then we'll catch it back up with Sylvia and yeah. Sean and Rose. Oh, they just cut that and just infer that they dropped them off somewhere. And that's yeah. But, but in any case, we're not going to, that's, that's as much Wilf as we're going to get, but that's that, you know, it just was so great to see him again. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I love that the 14 doctor like t- talks about how much he loves Wilf because he sacrificed everything to save him. You know, as we remember that regeneration, that regeneration mm-hmm. happened was because he had to save Wilf. Um, so, it was a beautiful thing to see. Um, uh, the TARDIS wiki, by the way, if you go to TARDIS.fandom.com, their logo has a tribute to Bernard Cribbins by, by putting him up in the logo in the top left. So uh, you can check that That's out. That's great. We will, however, get Melanie Bush next episode. Oh, I didn't know that. Really? Oh, cool. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to that. So the the toy maker, I know we'll get into this, but the toy maker was a first doctor villain, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. All right. Towards so the end, towards the end of the first doctor's run, which is why we haven't done it yet. Okay. Um, he, in fact, it was originally, they were looking at having it be, uh, Bill Hartnell's last episode yeah. because yeah. early in the story, he's the doctor turns invisible and he doesn't become visible again until the end. And the original plan was, or at least one of the things they were thinking about was when he turns visible again, it's not going to be William Hartnell. Oh, interesting. That's an, an interesting way of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to end on a on a question that I've seen come up, is, which is uh, some fans talking about, do the, the, 
the decade anniversaries, the 10th, 20th, 30th, 20, 25th, which isn't a decade, but, you know, that mm-hmm. we, we're, we're five by fives. Um, and even the 50th were all seem very big events. They were and they were multi-doctor events. Um, the mm, last, not you know, all of them. 25th uh, wasn't. Which one that was, was this? The Silver Nemesis. It was just yep. a seventh doctor Silver story. Nemesis in that's true. That's re- true. Uh, Remembrance of the Daleks. Yes, that's true. That's true. Well, um, but the but for for the a lot of the others were and um, so the the some fans were saying this doesn't these just feel like regular stories, just regular. They just happen to have uh, an old you know previous doctor and companion running around. Let's just say previous doctor for argument's sake. Um, they don't, you know, they don't have multiple doctors and have Matt Smith or Capaldi or whatever. What do you think of that? Do these feel big enough or important enough or impactful enough to be to really feel like 60th anniversary, given that we haven't seen the third of the three specials yet? Um, what do you think so far? I I don't mind that they're not multi-doctor because um, we have so many doctors now, there's no way you can, you you could cram three doctors into an episode for the three doctors. That worked, especially given that you had multiple parts. So mm-hmm. you didn't, it's, but now, um, I mean, they were already straining with a 90 minute episode to do five doctors justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no way you're going to get 14 doctors in an episode and have it, have them do anything significant. Um, they kind of fudged it in the uh, 50th anniversary where you had once mm-hmm. again, three doctors, you know, 10, 11 and war mm-hmm. playing, mm-hmm. playing the parts. And then you got super tiny cameos of the others, you know, and that formula can work, but it's been done. And if you're trying to bring in a new audience, you don't want to spend too much time with doctors from the past. Um, so I don't have a problem that it's not multi-doctor. There's just no way to cram that many characters in and and give them anything meaningful to do. There were people who were objecting at the 50th. It's like, what about all the surviving doctors from the classic era? It's like, are you crazy? From a story writer's perspective, we would have like, you know, they did the five-ish doctors, you know, parody boot parody thing. And that was fine. But if you took those five doctors and shoved them into this other thing, we'd have eight doctors. Mm -hmm. How are you supposed to have anything meaningful happen with that? Yeah. Um, Inevitably, some doctors would get shorted and then their fans would be unhappy. It's it's better and cleaner to just say we're going to do a big episode. Mm -hmm. And here I don't think they've quite achieved that, at least yet. These two episodes don't feel momentous to me. Mm. Uh, They what they feel like is the is the David Tennant final year leaving specials, which Mm. were a mixed bag. Um, mm. some of them like some of them like Planet of the Dead. Eh, who cares? Others like Waters of Mars. That was me. That was momentous. Mm, you know, where you have, yeah. yeah, where you have he 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 runs into a fixed point. He can't change it. He decides to change it. And Adelaide, whatever her last name is, undoes the Time Lord victorious. Um, I mean, wow, that was impactful. That's what I feel. That kind of story is what I feel like we need here, but we haven't got it so far. To me, these feel like pretty normal episodes. 
Well, yeah, I will, I will say, you know, talk about the exist, the, the living doctors, you know, living actors. Yeah, the power of the doctor actually did a very good job. You know, Jodie Whittaker's last episode yeah. did a very good job of using them. And of course, mm-hmm. we, you know, seeing the reunion of Tegan and, and the fifth and uh, Ace and the seventh. And then the, uh, the mind doctors, if you will, um, I think they did a very good job with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I agree with Jimmy about uh, it doesn't have to be a multi-doctor special. I, I don't even think it really needs to be for like a 60th or something like that. This super mega episode, you know, this, this super impactful episode. And again, we don't know what the third is going to be about. And if it's going to end up being this is all one long story, it just doesn't seem like it right now. Um, but it doesn't have to be just the fact that we've got episodes at all because they could have just not done anything when you think about it that way. It's just gone right to 15. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I, I I don't have a problem with it. No, they aren't impactful episodes so far, but they're not bad episodes. At least mm-hmm. this one definitely wasn't a bad episode. And there's three of them, not just one. You know, we got three mm-hmm. anniversary specials. And also point out, Jim, you mentioned how they're trying to get a new audience, you know, with being on Disney Plus and all that. And so they want to bring in all these old doctors to confuse the, the new audience. But they did give something to the longtime fans, which is Tales from mm-hmm. the TARDIS, which are these short yeah. reunions. And Russell T. Davies has indicated that Tales of the TARDIS is going to have a bigger role going forward. Mm. And I have been spoiled on part of how that's going to happen. Oh, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut about it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But there is an event that is apparently seriously going to happen in next week's episode that will recast Tales of the TARDIS in a new light. Ooh, interesting. Which this was a series of. Um, introductions and conclusions of uh, br- bracketing cl- some classic who uh, uh, stories that were on mm-hmm. BBC uh, that featured a doctor and a companion or two companions in a couple of cases uh, reuniting after all these years in a time TARDIS or not time TARDIS like memory a, TARDIS memory tar- yeah sorry because the tar- regular TARDIS is a time TARDIS a memory TARDIS and you know, and then they had these wonderful reunions and that sort of thing. So uh, I'll be interesting to see, interested to see how that uh, memory TARDIS may sh- may show up if if you're. If uh, I take I'm your- not saying it's going to show up, but um, <laughs> it's going to play into it, it. It, it. There, it will be cast. A, a, there's a particular line of dialogue in one of those tales of the TARDIS that will be recontextualized after next week, if what I've been spoiled on turns out to be true, which I think it is. Interesting, interesting. I'll have to go back and rewatch the Tales of the TARDIS now. Um, all right, so that that brings us to the end of uh, the uh, Wild Blue Yonder. Final thoughts, Father Corey? I get a kick out of the fact that the Doctor knows specifically 57,205,000,000 languages, but just not that one. <laughs> just not that mm-hmm. one. Uh, or Sith, or at least it's behind a paywall, uh, the Sith language. Yeah. <laughs> and Jimmy, any final thoughts? I like how... Um, the, at one point, you know, the doctor and Donna are looking at these effectively circuit boards and they're covered in goo. And the Donna says, Donna says, oh, are the, is that dangerous? And the doctor says, no, 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 I don't think so. And he licks it. <laughs> and and then he like says, like, see, and he puts it down and then he starts to collapse. 
And yeah. <laughs> and it looks like it looks like, you know, as the audience, we're really concerned. He's David Tennant's collapsing. It looks like this looks like actually maybe it was problematic. And then yeah. he just he snaps back and laughs it off. And it's like he was just messing mm-hmm. with Donna. And it was that was genuinely funny. <laughs> that was fun. That was yes, that was good. That was very good because they played it. They let it go a little too long for it to look like a joke. It looked like it was going to be real. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that was good. All right. Anything else? Uh, if not, uh, we can get to our feedback. And this feedback, like I said, it was from our last episode on the Star Beast. First one comes from Jason on YouTube, who writes, as a disabled person, let me give an example of a character I thought was usually done right. Oracle slash Barbara Gordon. Mm-hmm. She still does stuff, but because she's in a wheelchair, they usually keep her in a mission control setting. Yeah, that was great. Um, so for people who may not know, in DC Comics, Barbara Gordon was Batgirl. And mm-hmm. then they they did a, a, a graphic novel called uh, The Killing Joke, which featured the Joker and Batman. And The Killing Joke was not originally meant to be set in DC continuity, but it became so popular they decided to canonize it. And in The Killing Joke, the Joker shoots Barbara Gordon and severs her spine. So she loses the use of her legs. And despite that, she comes back and becomes a hero named Oracle. And she runs a computer system that serves multiple different heroes. Uh, She's later like a team leader for the Birds of Prey. And despite the fact that she's lost the use of her legs, she is a competent superhero in her own right still. Mm. And so... um, so I, I so yeah I, I and now she subsequently regained the use of her legs because comic books, comic books um, but you know I that was a good illustration of a character who realistically and she didn't have a super wheelchair you know that let yeah. her bend space and time or anything like that if you want that you got to go to Metron Metron <laughs> is the one with the spend space time bendy wheelchair. Um, <laughs> So, but yeah. that's yeah. yeah. But Barbara Gordon's a very successful character as Oracle, and and I I really like her run as Oracle. I am not up on comic books as much as I uh, should be, but uh, that yeah sounds good. Uh, our next one comes from Dave via email, who writes: uh, I'm wondering what Jimmy thinks about the Doctor's new Ensign Mount style hair. I think it looks better on Anson Mount. <laughs> Anson Mount is the actor who plays Captain Pike in the Star Trek Strange New Worlds, who has a famously poofy hairdo in that one. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the doctor just looks like he needs a, needs a comb, frankly. Yeah, <laughs> they, they even comment on Strange New Worlds. They have the characters comment on Strange New Worlds about how, how impressive Anson Mount's hair is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and then finally, uh, Michael on YouTube writes, uh, thank you, Dom, Jimmy and Father Corey for an entertaining and honest review of the Star Beast. I've been enjoying your Secrets of Doctor Who podcast very much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Glad you're enjoying it. All right. So that brings us to a moment where I want to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Doctor Who, including Brian W., Scott S., Stacey M., Dan, Dean, and Andrea W., and Laura F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And uh, that's it from us this time. We would love to know what you think of the Wild Blue Yonder episode. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com. 
or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can now watch The Secrets of Doctor Who in full video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia, where you can also leave a comment. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the final of the 60th, uh, 60th anniversary 14th Doctor specials called The Giggle. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. And thank you, and don't forget to come back next week because you won't want to miss our world premiere. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest, and remember, my arms are too long. Ooh.